episode seven. Seven episodes, y'all. Can you believe that? How's it going? I'm Sean Grigsby, and welcome to Cosmic Dragon. This podcast is designed for you, whoever you may be, whatever your needs may be. But hopefully, you're into science fiction, fantasy, writing, and all that jazz. Today, we're going to be interviewing Beth Cato. She is a Nebula-nominated author of Breath of Earth, Call of Fire, which just came out in August, The Clockwork Dagger, and its sequel. She is all over the place. I mean, she's riding up a storm. She's got short stories, novellas, novels. But it wasn't always that easy. And you'll find out more about that in the interview and how persistent Beth Cato really is. But before we get into the interview, I want to shamelessly plug my debut novel, Smoke Eaters. Smoke Eaters is releasing from Airy Robot Books in March of 2018. It's about firefighters versus dragons in the near future. If you like lasers, ghosts, robots, firefighters, dragons, badassery, it might be for you. I'm also going to be at Emerald City Comic Con between March 1st and 4th, 2018. I'd love to say hello, sign a book. That's just before the U.S. paperback comes out, but I'm pretty sure we're going to have copies available at the Angry Robot booth, and I will sign one for you. Hopefully, I'm going to have some stickers, too, for certain special people who yell crazy shit in the middle of the con. Also, if you aren't already, please follow me on Twitter. It's at Sean Grigsby. S-E-A-N-G-R-I-G-S-B-Y. Now, let's get into our interview with the amazing Beth Cato. All right, and we're here with a new episode of Cosmic Dragon. I am so happy to welcome to the podcast a fellow Codexian, uh, which is a member of the Codex Writers Group, for anybody who didn't know, uh, fellow SIFWA member, fellow, well, she's probably more awesome than me, but at least fellow awesome person, Beth Cato. Beth, thanks so much for coming on Cosmic Dragon. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's great to talk to you. Now, this podcast is kind of directed toward uh, up-and-coming authors and either those who just broke in or are wanting to. So could you kind of give us uh, a short breakdown of, of how you started, what made you want to get into writing in the first place and kind of your journey up until this point? Sure. Well, I was one of those strange people who, from the time I was a kid, I wanted to be an author when I grew up. So I was four years old, writing my own little novels and illustrating them, stapling them together, giving them to my mom, that kind of thing. When I was a teenager, I fell into the fantasy genre in a big way, thanks to role-playing games. And I was like, this is what I want to be. I mean, I want to write books like this. And then in my late teens, I stopped writing and stopped even reading fantasy because I had pressure from family telling me, that I was going to burn in hell if I kept writing and reading fantasy. And then I had a respected creative writing teacher who saw me reading a fantasy book one day and sneered, that's not a real book. So with all that pressure on me, I just stopped for about, about 10 years. And then I was at a point where my husband was in the Navy and he was deployed. And I was home with a baby and was pretty miserable and was looking around like, okay, I feel like I'm in a deep depressive pit. I need to dig myself out of it. I need to rediscover who I am and what I want to do. So I decided I would start writing again with the goal of becoming a published novelist. And slowly but surely, I worked toward that goal by writing novels, uh, being told that they sucked, uh, learning how to revise, accept criticism. 
I started writing flash fiction and short stories to hone my craft and become a better writer so that my novels wouldn't suck. And after a few years of that, I actually signed with an agent. And, yeah, it's just kind of been an escalation from there. And you were a Nebula nominee, or are a Nebula nominee, uh, for the Wings of Sorrow. Yeah, Bowie, I was right? a couple of years ago. Back yes, I was, just a couple of years ago. That's yes. awesome. I mean, that's, that's huge, uh, for one, but just... I didn't know that about the whole, you know, going to hell for writing fantasy and just I mean, every writer has to be persistent, I know, but good grief. That <laughs> it seems like everybody was against you and, and what you wanted to do and you finally just, you know, it, it seems like most writers, it, it happened with me, they get to this point where it's like if I don't do this now, I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life kind of thing. Well, actually, I, I, yes. I mean, I don't think, I mean, okay, I didn't want to <laughs> say that and, and it not be true for you, but, you know, that's kind of, you come to that point, and you're like, I, this is what I was meant to do, or this is at least something that I'm extremely passionate about, and no one's going to stop me from here on out. Yeah, and it's really sad, because every, every so often I have someone come to me and say, oh, you're an author, I would love to be an author, but I want my kids to be done with school first, or I want to be retired first. And I always kind of want to shake them and tell them, no, you can't wait. There is never a good time. There's always going to be stuff that life throws at you or people yeah. who tell you you can't do it. And you just have to slowly but surely do it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because then you'll never you'll never do it. And uh, people uh, have told me, and I know they told people like Brandon Sanderson, that, oh, you're really young uh, to be a published mm -hmm. novelist. And you're like, really? Because I know a lot of people <laughs> wait until they retire. You know, I'm... I'm I just turned to, I have to think about it, 32, and uh, they're like, yeah, that's young. I was like, really? That's <laughs> that's crazy, you know? I know the, the, the age gap's kind of getting lower and lower, but uh, so all of your books are with Harper Voyager, I'm guessing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, how, how did you end up, uh, I mean, obviously, you did you sign with your agent before you got a publishing deal, or did you... Was it the other way around? Well, I signed with my agent with a, a superhero urban fantasy novel. And this was in uh, 2011, and it was at a time when there were a lot of, and still are, really good series going on. And she shopped that around, and it was rejected everywhere because people were like, oh, this is really good, but our list is full. Or, oh, you know, you know, weren't we already, you know, we don't need any more urban fantasy. There's too much on the market, all this. So we had to trunk it. And I wrote another book. And my agent said, this doesn't work. So I was like, okay. And at that point, I was really having doubts about becoming a novelist at all. And then I had the idea for The Clockwork Dagger. And I pitched it to my agent as, hey, I have this idea for murder on the Orient Express on an airship with a healer as the lead character. And she was just like, yes, go with that. That sounds like a really unique take on steampunk. So I wrote that. But at the time, I was still really overwhelmed with doubt. Because I was like, you know, I can't sell anything, you know, do I need to just tell my agent that I suck at this and I need to just give up? And Codex has their annual novel writing contest, and I included Clockwork Dagger in that, and it actually placed second for that year, among a lot of other really good rough draft novels. And that boosted my confidence, and I was like, okay, well, if these people that I respect a whole lot like what I have here, then maybe I can do this after all. So I kept working on it, and then I workshopped it a lot with my agent, and we honed it, and uh, later the next year, she put it out on submission, and we ended up getting three offers for it that were each getting better and better, and the last one was Harper Voyager, and it was 
worldwide rights and trade paperback and ebook and a sequel book as well. And signed with them, and Clockwork Agar came out in fall of 2014, and I now have four books with them and a collection. That's fantastic. Especially, I mean, that's, <laughs> what, four years? Yeah. You, you're everywhere. And, and a nebula <laughs> nod, to your credit, you, you know, it's it's it seems, Beth, that all that hard work and, and perseverance has paid off. It, it has in a lot of ways, but at the same time, with this writing game, you ne- never stay on top. It's this constant need to pr- to prove yourself, to get through the slush pile, get an acceptance again, to get another novel idea that will sell. I mean, because we're just contract workers. There's nothing secure about our position. And that's right. what's really scary about it. I mean, it's like, yeah, I have a book deal. Oh, no, please buy my next book, too. Right. <laughs> it's just a cycle. That's, yeah, and then people forget, and you have, you have to come out with something new constantly. Yeah, we're, we're basically yeah. freelancers. Um, glorified freelancers, maybe, some would argue. But, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> there's always got to be another book. And I mean, but that's, that's in a way, that's kind of freeing, uh, wouldn't you say? I mean, you, you, I mean, yeah, it's tough. You have to constantly come up with ideas. Um, but I think people who are drawn to this profession, and at least in your case, who are persistent enough to, to pursue it, the well always fills up, and there, there's always something more to, to write. So The Clockwork Dagger was your debut novel. Yes. And it was followed up by The Clockwork Crown, uh, which is the second book, and then you also have uh, the other stories, which are uh, novellas, uh, and which I mentioned one was uh, the one nominated for the Nebula. Yes, yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah, two short stories and a novella, and the novella is the one that had the Nebula nomination. Okay, and you kind of uh, talked about the Murder on the Orient Express angle, and it's the steampunk. And then after this, you moved on to writing Breath of Earth, which uh, for those of who out there who don't know, Breath of Earth. Uh, Take, it's basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I have read Breath of Earth, by the way, it's awesome. Uh, it is an alternate history, but it's also fantasy, and you, you have all these things uh, going on. And Could, could you uh, give Hollywood elevator pitch on what, what it's about? <laughs> yeah, it's Breath of Earth starts in 1906 San Francisco, and I like to joke, spoiler alert, there's an earthquake. Because there's no avoiding the fact that it is based on the historic 1906 San Francisco earthquake and fire. But the reasons that it happens are entirely different. And you're right, I, it's an alternate history. It's the U.S. and Japan are allied as a world power, and they're taking over mainland Asia. And there are uh, magical creatures that are part of the everyday world. And my main character, Ingrid, is a geomancer. And as you can guess, that plays into an earthquake happening within San Francisco. And that goes so well together. I mean, <laughs> was this like was this something you kind of just discovered along the way, or or was that when you got the idea for this book that was yeah oh yeah it's got to be in San Francisco. Well, the original idea was I wanted to do a steampunk take on the 1906 earthquake, and then once I kind of had that idea in mind, I was like, okay, what kind of magic will work with that? And then I immediately gravitated towards geomancy because I was like, okay, earth magic, earthquake, okay, I think I can do something with this. And you have a sequel to it called Call of Fire. Yes, it came out in August. Not to spoil anything, but but what's what's the progression on this story? Well, Ingrid and her friends are fleeing for their lives. They've left San Francisco behind, and they go to the Pacific Northwest and actually go through Portland and Seattle. 
And uh, one of the main characters that I hinted about in Breath of Earth gets to have a major role in Call of Fire, and that is Theodore Roosevelt, who is not a president, but he's an ambassador, one of the essentially 12 uh, governing bodies of the Unified Pacific, the Alliance of Japan and America. Awesome. Now, speaking of Ingrid, uh, Ingrid, her parents are of two different races. And uh, I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I read the book. She's half Japanese. Well, actually, that is vague in the first book. Uh, Her father, she doesn't know his origins. He had dark skin, uh, black hair, and she inherited those traits from him. But otherwise, his past is a mystery. And Call of Fire actually goes into that quite a bit and explores his origins and where their powers in geomancy actually come from. And it's it's... Interesting and poignant, I think, to, to, for one, have it set in the time period um, because she's not only a woman, uh, but she has uh, a mixed heritage. And you you put a lot of that in Breath of Earth and, and the things she has to deal with and kind of the, the prejudices of uh, both her sex and her, her race. And what, what, how is that important to you? Uh, what, what, what did you really want to say in these books as, as far as, as that topic, and especially the time period in which it takes place? Well, I really want to give people a voice. Um, representation is very important to me. And I'm a 37-year-old, very pasty-skinned blonde, and I don't want to just read about people who are clones of me. I want to, I want to learn as I read. I want to take in different perspectives. And I hope that readers feel the same way. And I haven't seen any books in that 1906 period that really look at what a woman of mixed race had to endure on a daily basis and how she's judged as a servant and how she can't go in the front door of a business and how she's treated like she's either property or that, oh, she's a human being, but she's a pagan or she's illiterate. And all of these judgments that she constantly has to endure, it's I found it educational to write it and also very sad and depressing. And, of course, the book doesn't just go into what Ingrid endures, but also her good friend Lee, who is Chinese. And in the book, the Chinese are subject to a great deal of persecution. And a lot of that is based on the actual history of the time period. Oh, yeah, they were treated terribly. Oh, they were treated like they were inhuman. I mean, you would have young, naked Chinese girls were paraded around naked to prove that they were actually human girls. I mean, it was just revolting what they had to endure. Goodness. And that that is important. I was actually just thinking about this today, about how the the whole purpose of story, and you, you, you that was a fantastic answer, by the way, but the oh. whole purpose of, of reading stories is, is to get a different perspective. Um, I personally believe that people who read books in a vast, a, a variety of books, a diverse selection of books, tend to be not only more intelligent, but also more compassionate. Um, they have a higher uh, emotional intelligence. So, um, at least from my perspective, hey, keep doing what you're doing because um, cause it's great and, and, and the world needs it. And uh, I'm definitely going to pick up Call of Fire now just to see the continuation of, of Ingrid's story. Well, thanks. And yeah, the third one should be out uh, in 2018 in the fall. 2018 in the fall. Uh, do we have a name, a title for it? Roar of Sky. Roar of Sky. Awesome. I'm writing it down right now. Okay. <laughs> so we talked about your uh, career. We've talked about your books. 
Let's talk about another talent of yours that I've seen on Facebook all the time. And I, 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 every time I see it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to gain five pounds just looking at this stuff. But it looks amazing. Is your <laughs> baking? Uh, what? Tell us about you know your your passion for baking and and the history behind that. Yeah, I have a food blog called Ready or Not, and every Wednesday I post a new recipe. And most of them tend to be on the sweet side. Uh, through November and December, it's been peppermint-themed recipes, but I go through a wide variety of different sweets and brownies and cookies, and it's something I'm known for at conventions, too. I tend to almost always bring cookies with me, and I just feed people as I go, because at conventions, people tend to skip meals or they have a lot of panels in a row, so... It's kind of nice if someone's trapped on an elevator with me. I can just kind of hold out a container and say, you know, hey, want a cookie? And everyone's happy. Who knows how many people you've saved from low blood sugar (laughs) because you were there with with a tray of cookies or something else? Yeah, I try and do my part. And I'm not the only one. There are several other authors out there that, you know, Michelle Munzler in Texas, she's known as the cookie lady, lady, and she's been doing this longer than I have. And, yeah, I mean, there are a number of us out there who just – do our part to spread cookies and love. And uh, I'm just looking here at your upcoming appearances. Uh, for those who are interested in getting a cookie from Beth, and you're going to be at the Tucson Festival of Books in March. Yes, and, uh, that's you'll be correct. At Phoenix yeah. Comic. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's coming up in March, and like you're saying, yeah, and then Phoenix Comic Con in May. Phoenix Comic Con. How many years uh, would this be for Phoenix Comic Con? I know that's that's kind of a staple for you. I've been doing it as a panelist since 2014, and before that, I was uh, just a fan in the crowd, paying my way in. And yeah, and now I get the the badge of power. And you've you've been living in Arizona for quite some time. Uh, do you ever plan on writing anything that takes place in Arizona? Well, Roar of Sky actually does partially take place in Arizona, so I finally get to use that as a setting to a degree, but. A lot of my uh, books and stories lean toward California, which is the place I consider the home of my heart. It's where I grew up and where my family is, and, you know, I I, I lean toward that. But I've lived all over. I've lived in Arizona for about 10 years now. Um, My husband was in the Navy. We lived in South Carolina, and we also lived in Washington State near Seattle. I love Seattle. Oh, yeah. I I, I miss it. I visited it for the first time in August, and I'm going back for Emerald City Comic Con in March. And I, uh, I'd move there if I could. It's really expensive. Yeah, right? yeah, and has horrible traffic. Really? Yeah. I mean, I Ubered everywhere or walked. Um, oh, yeah. Well, we walked until my wife got tired of walking, and then and then I Ubered everywhere. But <laughs> so we didn't really go out, get too much into the traffic. But I can I can see how that's a problem. Okay. Well, let's uh, do a fast. Rapid-fire uh, line of questions. Who would you say is your biggest influence in writing science fiction and fantasy? Oh, gosh, that's a hard question. I would probably have to say George Lucas and Star Wars. Um, I was nice. born in 1980, and my brother was born in 1977. And he was Star Wars-obsessed from the time he escaped the womb. So I was born into it and never knew a time when I didn't have Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and John Williams' soundtrack in the background. So Star Wars had a huge impact on me. Are you going to be in line tonight for the midnight showing? No, I can't because, you know, I'm now an an early morning wake-up person and I have to get my son to school tomorrow and all that stuff. But I do hope to see it in the next couple weeks. 
There you go. I think we're going to go Sunday. I, my wife does not want to deal with, with the opening night crowd. <laughs> Understandably. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I don't want to really do that either. Yeah. It's eh. So George Lucas was uh, your main inspiration. Do you have any uh, aspirations to move from fantasy and, and steampunk into maybe writing science fiction, space opera, that kind of thing? Well, short, my short stories do go all the way across the spectrum in that way. Uh, as far as writing full novels, I don't see myself doing full novels in, in science and in, in space opera. But um, I would like to diversify the kinds of fantasy that I write, explore different eras, do different things, and not just be known as a steampunk author. Definitely. Right. I don't think anybody really wants, I mean, uh, unless it's the only thing they really like, I don't think anybody likes getting uh, pigeonholed, uh, especially if their ideas yeah. come from different genres and things like that. So, awesome. Um, okay, next question. What is your writing process like? Well, it's flexible sometimes, but I will say that I am a hardcore outliner. Uh, when I wrote Roar of Sky earlier this year, I went into it and I had an 11,000 word outline. And then the wow. full rough draft ended up being about 95,000. But yeah, and part of that is because it is historical fiction and involved substantial research before I even started. So as I went through the ended my outline, I had to include notes on all the historical things I was included, including. And also at that point, I knew my characters so well, they just wanted to have spontaneous conversations throughout the outline. So I included those as notes too. And you find that that's easier for you because once you, once you get that outline, it, it, makes the process I mean obviously you have the research as you mentioned do you think if you were to just do the writing by the seat of your pants approach it would take a lot longer yeah I don't really work that way even though I do heavy duty outlines I still have to do substantial revisions too and yeah for I mean for me I'm at a point where even if I'm doing flash fiction I'll do a tiny outline for that that maybe is just you know, a couple sentences breaking down what what I plan to do with the story. So I, to me, it really helps to go into it, especially if I have a word count goal that I want to do per day. I want to have an idea of what I'm going to write before I sit down in my chair, or I'm just staring at a blank, blank screen going, uh... Do you, do you try to write every day? It depends on what I need to do. I'm, I This year, I've been trying to complete at least one story every month as part of like a, a mini codex contest called 12 for 12. And I did fulfill that for this year. A lot of those were flash fiction, but it was still something to keep me writing and submitting every single month, which is hard to do on top of novels and novel deadlines because when a publisher throws edits or copy edits at you, they're always like, oh, yeah, we know you've been waiting for this for five months, but here you go. This is due next Tuesday. <laughs> and it's just like you have to drop anything else that is happening in your life and work on that. So you kind right. of have to learn to some flexibility. How many words do you strive for every day? Dep it, I guess that you kind of answered that already. It just depends. Yeah, it, it really depends. Yeah, if I'm doing a, a flash fiction story or a short story, I tend to want to get my rough drafts done as quickly as possible because I hate rough drafting because I know that it's inherently broken. And I want to get around to fixing it as soon as possible. And when I do my novels, it tends to be the same kind of thing. Um for my novel, I write my rough drafts very quickly because it's a it is an anxiety fueled process. I tend right. to do them in about a month. The fastest one I did was in twenty seven days. I did eighty seven thousand words. Whoa! And I don't yeah, and I don't remember much of what 
else I did that month, and my husband says that I wasn't a very pleasant person at the time. (laughs) (laughs) So for when I did Roar of Sky uh, this March and April, I actually made the effort like, okay, I do not have to finish this in one month. I will take it a little bit easier. And I ended up doing it in about a month and a half, and that made it a little bit more healthier for me. And I actually do remember things that I did in March and April. So that was an improvement. Well, we're going to wrap things up. And uh, I asked this of all my guests, and that is, what is some advice that you would like to give up-and-coming writers? Something either that you've always believed or something that you wished you knew. I would say stay stubborn. You have to because... This is a job that, I mean, if you write and you read, you love it, you're passionate about it, you want to tell stories, but you have to deal with a lot of rejection. You have to deal with reviewers. You have to deal with feeling like you're obsolete and just screaming into the void and begging people to notice that you and your books exist at all. And it can really take a lot out of you and your life and your soul and you, you have to maintain that belief in yourself and that you can do it and that you do have stories that are worth telling. And it, it can be hard sometimes, and you need support around you that knows what it's like to go through that. And Beth, if I may say so, you are the living embodiment of that, and I want to thank you so much for coming on Cosmic Dragon. Well, thanks. I really enjoyed talking to you today. <laughs>